0: How do we send our children into the playground or or into time with family and friends or into the school setting in which a bully might come up and try to just simply and violently harm them or use verbal threats against them? How do we instruct our children?
1: Well, I'll get to the bottom line first. We should teach our children that it is appropriate for them to defend themselves against a physical attack. However, there are some steps that should occur prior to that.
0: Welcome to Life in Christ, a podcast of The Landing Church here in Duluth, Minnesota. My name is Brent Nelson, and I have the privilege of having a conversation with one of our elders, a dear friend and brother in Christ, Howard Hayes. Welcome, Howard. Good
1: afternoon. It's good to be here.
0: Good afternoon to you as well. We've been talking in our first episode about self-defense. It's part of a larger structure of topics from Wayne Grudem's Christian Ethics book. We're teaching it uh, in rotation fashion among four of our elders to the adult Sunday school class here at The Landing, and we thought we would expand the listenership by turning it into a podcast in which we had conversations about the very content of God's Word, and as Grudem uh, arranges it and organizes it, and we had a previous conversation. You might want to refer to the first episode conversation on self-defense. We walked through Old and New Testament passages, making it very clear that God prizes human life, He prizes human beings made in the image of God, and even prizes land and animals uh, to the degree that they should be protected Uh, And self-defense is needed for that purpose. So what a wonderful conversation that was. Grudem includes, and you included it for for us, Howard, a quote from the Westminster Larger Catechism, question number 136. Would you give that to us as a launching-off point?
1: Sure. Question 136 from the Catechism, the Larger Catechism. The Sixth Commandment forbids all taking away the life of ourselves or of others— except in case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. Mm.
0: So that's plainly saying there are moments when necessary defense might require that.
1: Right. And then the reference for that is a passage we talked about on the previous episode on, uh, from Exodus 22 about someone breaking into your home at night.
0: Right. Another person that uh, Grudem quotes is a theologian named John Frame. Uh, What's his contribution?
1: Well, he says, if someone seeks to kill you or a family member and there is no help available, it is right for you to ward off the attack by force if necessary. Mm -hmm. The Bible does not forbid us to defend our lives, our families, and our possessions by force to the extent that that is necessary.
0: So very helpful. So that's a good summary of where we've been. We're not talking about the kingdom of God coming by force. It does not come by force. We're not talking about... Um, raising up an army under the oversight of the church. We're not talking about any such things. We're actually saying that the government, according to Romans 13, has been established by God, raised up by God, even though all governments are imperfect, and uh, has the right to execute justice by the sword. So we're we're recognizing, as you've said before so helpfully, God's delegated authority to the local government to bring about justice, even if necessary by use of force. And yet what, what Westminster and, and Frame and Grudem and many passages of Scripture are saying to us that sometimes you can't wait for the wheels of justice to turn that slowly, and you must in the moment make a decision to protect yourself, your family, your belongings, your, your goods, as it were, and to use force if necessary.
1: Right. And I think it bears worth uh, repeating that this is something you need to think about ahead of time. Right. In the calmness of the moment where you're not adrenaline spiked.
0: Or threatened in any way. Right. Yeah. So you
1: can think your way through this. You can prepare your decisions ahead of time based on the scriptures. So in that moment of stress, hmm. you've already made your decision.
0: That's wise. So helpful. Well, then the question becomes, one of the questions that that Grudem addresses, and it's so helpful to ask this, What about the times when Christians are under persecution for their faith, when it's a a showdown and Jesus is at the center?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Grudem turns to 1 Peter. That's a very important epistle in the Bible to turn to. It's almost written exclusively around the great theme of the persecution of uh, first century believers. What passages does Grudem point to that give answer to how uh, we should think of ourselves as preparing for response to persecution.
1: Yeah, so so this is where you get a, a, a slightly nuanced, perhaps, response to um, a threat against you. Uh, one is a criminal, violent attack, and we've covered that. Now, the question is, if we're being attacked for our faith specifically, does mm-hmm. that change things a little bit? And uh, some of those verses in 1 Peter um, address that. 3.14 says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Mm-hmm. 413 says, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And then a few verses later it says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So we're we're taught that we should expect persecution. That should not come as a surprise to us. Right. And we should view it, with God's help, as an opportunity for witness, maybe not a situation where we actively defend ourselves.
0: Right. So there's need for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to be present in the heart of the believer, to guide the believer to know whether to try to disarm the persecutor or stop the persecutor from from setting his home on fire or for... Uh, resisting, as we said earlier, the persecutor who might be taking us to court uh, because of false accusation or, or or seeking to do bodily harm to our family members. Uh, certainly, uh, those previous passages we talked about in the last episode suggest to me that we have every right as, as men and as husbands and fathers to take up uh, action to protect our families. But there's a moment these passages make plain, and Grudem is, is reiterating, and we're saying here, that there's a moment when it may be very, very appropriate for you to leave arms aside and be willing to lay your life down for the sake of the witness of Jesus Christ. perfect example would be the disciples. We established before that they were allowed and even instructed to carry swords, but eventually every one of the disciples gave their lives as a martyr for Christ. Right. So at some point, it was the right thing to do, to not unsheath the sword and try to live another day, but to say, Christ is worth it to me. For me to live is Christ, and yet for me to die is gain.
1: Right. And this calls for much wisdom. Yeah. Because there will be circumstances where I think God will urge us to defend ourselves, even in the face of persecution. And there may be times ultimately where he says, no.
0: Yeah. Well, you also take us to a very famous passage in First Peter, First Peter 2.23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, speaking of Christ. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And that, of course, is Christ as he is arrested and as he's brutalized and crucified and killed on the cross. But Peter gives that verse to us as an instruction for how we ought to follow Christ's example. So it is unique to Christ, but it's also placed as an example for us to follow. So there are certainly times in our lives when our witness for Christ requires that we follow Christ's quiet example and commend ourselves to God who judges justly.
1: Yeah, and, and for a guy like me, and there, some of our listeners may be like me in the sense that we like black and white. Sure. Right, right. <laughs> just tell me when is it okay to defend myself and when shouldn't I? It's not that easy. Right. It requires the Holy Spirit to give you clear guidance, right. which he will, and yeah. he promises that he will.
0: Yeah. One example that many of our readers may know because of the famous five missionaries who went to Ecuador in 1956 to seek to win the Waorani to Christ uh, was Jim Elliott and his four friends uh, landed their plane thinking they were going to speak with these tribal members for the first time on the, uh, the basis of friends, but because of exigent circumstances and under the providence of God, there was an attack, a spearing attack against these five men. And uh, they had guns, but chose not to aim those guns and fire them at their attackers, but aimed them, what they believed to be, above them and beyond them. And there was shots fired, uh, according to the to the witness records, but those shots were fired as as a fear deterrent not to end the life of the person who was seeking to spear them. And uh, that was a decision they made in advance, kind of going to the idea that you've, you've rightly uh, counseled us, Howard, and that is the idea that they knew their response before the moment. They did not want to, A, end the life of an unbelieving tribal member before they'd heard the gospel, and B, they did not want to undermine or sabotage future gospel witness to these people.
1: Right, and think about what the end result of that decision was
0: astounding many in the tribe according to records have come to christ not all but many and uh the gospel as a missionary enterprise has been inspired by that account in many other places times and people since then
1: yeah it speaks uh, volumes if you're willing to give your life for your faith that's right that's
0: right and that's exactly what they were men of whom the world is not worthy right so very helpful very very helpful uh, and yet your your challenge to us to seek the holy spirit and to wait on the wisdom of god for specific situations or to to envision them i know that as i read about persecuted believers they come near to those situations and in the and in the anticipation of some of those showdowns as it were they they counsel one another and they pray through their answers in advance
1: yeah we're going to all need to do that
0: right another question that comes up And uh, many of our listeners will find this appropriate and and applicable to their own lives. How do we teach our children these things? How do we send our children into the playground or, or into time with family and friends or into the school setting in which a bully might come up and try to just simply and violently harm them or use verbal threats against them? How do we instruct our children?
1: Well... I'll get to the bottom line first. We should teach our children that it is appropriate for them to defend themselves against a physical attack. However, there are some steps that should occur prior to that. Mm -hmm. We should teach our children that they are to be the peacemakers. Uh In their little sphere of influence, they ought to be the one that is always trying to dispel violence or to uh, de-escalate it if they're involved in something that could lead to a bad outcome. We should teach them that they shouldn't be quick-tempered, and that whenever possible, they should ignore minor insults. However, there will be times, perhaps, when attempting to avoid conflict just doesn't work. Hmm. Ideally, they should involve a parent. If it's at school, they should get a teacher involved. Hmm. If they're outside of school, try to get a parent involved or an adult. That would be the next step. But if that isn't possible for some reason, the child should be willing and, and should defend themselves. They should fight back with courage and determination mm-hmm. to stop the attack. Mm-hmm. I think experience tells us that the failure to oppose physical attacks with physical force will often result in even worse attacks right. the next time. Right. Right. And then he goes back to that Proverb uh, 25, 26 about a muddied spring or a polluted fountain. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Mm-hmm. So children should be taught to defend themselves. They should also be taught to pray for their attackers. Mm-hmm. Matthew 5, uh, later in the chapter in verses 43 and 44 says, You've heard it that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, Jesus, say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you.
0: So it's possible, it isn't intuitive, but it's possible, and even commended by Scripture, to pray for a person who's persecuting you, even while you are stopping them with physical force. To say, you cannot continue to keep harming me physically, as you are attempting to do.
1: Yeah, it, it is counterintuitive, but Grudem brings up the idea of loving your neighbor yeah, as yourself. Sure. And one way to love this attacker is to not let them do something that is evil.
0: Absolutely. Don't let them amass more guilt before God. Right. Absolutely. And as as the proverb implies, there's there's secondary things happening. There's there's this the, the halting, the standing up to the courageous determining determination. Of standing up to a, a bully, a wrongdoer. But there's almost always, if not witnesses, there are people who hear about it later and they say, okay, I think we're all safer because so and so stood up against a bully. Right. Because sometimes, as you've as you've said, the bully will not only escalate what they're doing to one's own child, but maybe start again start in against other children. Right. Because there's no one to stop. And sadly, sometimes the parents are not even aware, the school officials are not even aware. Or if they are aware, sadly, they don't intervene. Right. More and more, we're hearing that in our culture, that those we would trust to intervene for the sake of safety are so concerned about their own safety that they won't go in and stop the wrongdoer by putting their own lives on the line, as we expect and even pay them to do.
1: Right. So it's a childhood version of defending the defenseless, Right. or the scriptures talk about the fatherless. Right. Now these other children are probably not literally fatherless, That's but right. they may not be able to defend themselves. That's right. That's right.
0: So we're we're talking about a kind of parenting which begins with Jesus teaching, blessed are the peacemakers, make sure our children or make sure our children are instructed not to be the aggressors, not to be the offenders not to take by force not to belittle or humiliate others with verbal uh, attack or physical attack but when all efforts at trying to halt it or or reverse it have proven futile there's a moment that our children should be encouraged to use courage and determination to stop the attack very good right very it should
1: good. be a last resort but when you reach that point you have to act decisively
0: be prepared is it ever right to use a weapon in self-defense? We talked about that a little bit in the previous episode. How would we summarize that question? Is it right to use a weapon in self-defense?
1: Well, Grudem says if it's morally right to either flee from violence or to defend oneself from attack, then it seems also to be morally right to use a weapon. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to the Exodus twenty-two example of the home invasion, right? Presumably, that homeowner used some sort of a weapon, not just right. bare fists, yep. to kill the attacker. Um, there are passages dealing with carrying swords, which lends support to the idea that Jesus wanted his disciples to have an effective weapon to use for self-defense or the defense of others. Carrying a weapon can have a deterrent effect, which mm-hmm. is positive. That right. may stop an attack before it happens. And a weapon also gives you the ability to defend yourself against either more than one perpetrator or somebody who's physically bigger and stronger than you. It's sort of an equalizer of inferior size Mm -hmm. or strength. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's best to rely on the authorities, i.e. the police or... In some cases, it could even be the military to protect you. But they may not always be there quick enough to actually render help before it's too late.
0: So Scripture allows us to use a weapon for self-defense from a moral perspective.
1: It seems clear to me that it does.
0: It does to me too. Yeah, thank you. My name is Brent Nelson. I'm talking with Howard Hayes. We're talking about self-defense from a biblical perspective. We're doing it as part of a larger structure of conversations we're having here at The Landing— about Christian ethics, and we're using the resource Wayne Grudem's book on Christian ethics, and these thoughts are derived originally from him, and we find them commendable and helpful, and life-giving, and uh, truth-telling, and honest, even bracing to some degree. But we think it's important that that these ethical questions that are certainly in the minds of of any observant and thoughtful person uh, alive today in any nation on the planet would be asking and thinking about themselves. We want to try to answer them from a biblical perspective with biblical nuance and care and precision. Uh, We've talked about the biblical foundation for how uh, the kingdom of God does not come by force, and we're not interested in enforcing the kingdom with, with weaponry or with physical force. But when the situation requires and there's no alternative as a last resort, it is biblically permitted, even instructed, to use Uh, self-defense to protect oneself and others, uh, even even our belongings. Uh, One of the the questions that it's important to get to, we alluded just in a moment ago that it's appropriate to use a weapon for self-defense. Is it appropriate to use a gun for self-defense? Now, this is, of course, a very hotly debated question in our culture today, Uh, but in the history of the church, in the history of humankind, the use of weaponry has hardly been a very debated issue weapons guns included have been in the hands of thoughtful self-controlled wise honorable people they've been a very useful tool
1: yeah it just seems to me and and i think this is where grudem argues is that a weapon like a gun in today's culture is the logical extension of what a sword was used for sure. in jesus time right it's also a great equalizer of size and strength. It has a deterrent effect. But we just have to realize that we we can't trust in our guns more than we trust in right. the Lord.
0: Right, right, right. But we can be thankful that um, a military is well-equipped. We can be thankful that the local police and law enforcement are well-equipped. We can be thankful for... Uh, those who, if they are going to own and carry a gun, that they are well-trained, they're proficient, they are law-abiding, and they are fully aware of what those laws are, and they know how to uh, avoid using a weapon, in, in, in if at all possible.
1: Right, right. And the laws in Minnesota and Wisconsin, that's where we're broadcasting from, they're not as clear as you might hope. Mm-hmm. Sure. Bottom, bottom line is if you're inside your house, you have a right to defend. Yeah. You don't have an obligation to retreat. Right. But outside your home, you have an obligation to attempt to retreat.
0: To retreat, presumably into your home.
1: Into your home or away from where the threat is. Away from is. danger, yeah. So it's really important that you study those laws and understand them.
0: And that's helpful. We also want to acknowledge that there are differing opinions within the body of Christ on these things. I'm certainly aware and hearing in my mind conversations I've had with with other careful students of God's Word who would have a differing opinion, and we want to respect that. Certainly that's true throughout the history of the Church, It's likely true even within our faith family here, and certainly that's true across, uh, across evangelicalism today. But it seems to flow quite well from the, the summary of, of all the passages of Scripture we've looked at that it's appropriate, at least permissible, for a safe and well-reasoned, well-informed, uh, self-controlled use of a firearm. So maybe, Howard, you might summarize this for us. We've talked about a lot of things. This is the near the end of the second episode. Both episodes together really um, or should be listened to together to get the whole picture. But how, would, how does Grudem and how do you summarize this whole chapter and this whole topic?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to make it clear so you can walk away with something you can hang your hat on. So when facing a violent criminal attack against either yourself or your family or someone that is apparently defenseless, our first option should be to escape or hide mm-hmm. if possible. Next option is to allow the authorities to handle the attacker Mm -hmm. if possible. If that doesn't work in either one of those steps, it is right to defend yourself, your family, and the defenseless. Mm -hmm. It is okay to use a weapon in self defense. We need to take the time to train using whatever your weapon of choice is, learn the laws. And again, there's that nuanced discussion of attacks motivated purely by religious persecution may alter your plan. Mm-hmm. And we emphasize that the Holy Spirit is going to be uh, there to guide you in those situations. And again, we trust in God, not in our weapons. Amen. Amen.
0: Very well said. Good. Thank you. This proved helpful for you. How is how is this chapter and this discussion impacting you just in a personal note. How, how it seems helpful to me when I read Grudem on this. I find myself greatly instructed.
1: Well, what's encouraging to me is, you know, we've all are got our thoughts on these various ethical decisions that we have to make in life, but it's, it's so important that they are informed by Scripture, not informed by our upbringing, by our culture, mm-hmm. by the news, by the things we read and study. We want to feel confident that the decisions we make are based solidly in God's Word. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Well said. Well, thanks, Howard, for the time. Thanks for the study. Would you pray for us as we bring our conversation to a close?
1: I'd love to. Thank you, Lord, that your Word is so precious and so applicable and so helpful to even these kinds of aspects in our lives. Uh, We want to live according to your Word, Mm. Thank you for making it clear, even on a very specific subject like this, what your wishes are for us, what you want us to do in response to various situations uh, that we find ourselves in. So thank you, God, for your precious living and active Word. Help us to soak it in daily. Help us to be diligent and disciplined in our daily Bible reading so that the Word of God is so saturating our souls that it just comes out in those moments where we're not thinking clearly. You can speak clearly to us through it. Hmm. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again, Howard, and thank you for listening. Deuteronomy 32, 47, Moses says to the Israelites, In the Word of God, what I speak to you today is no idle word, but it is your very life. So we've called this podcast Life in Christ because we focus on the life-giving Word of God in order to give us guidance and strength, encouragement, and awaken faith in us for all the many questions of our salvation and how to glorify and honor God in all that we do, and all the many challenging questions that we face in life today. Thanks for listening. Tune in again with us. Click on the on the podcast, however you receive your podcasts Uh, listen in, and we'll try to make your time together with us, edifying and Christ-exalting and encouraging to your soul. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.
1: Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.